I want to give you a little bit of a context before we jump into our scripture again, the scripture that you heard Bill read already from the message. And looking at this uh, map that Bill's going to put up on the screen now, you see where this uh, miracle, where this story actually takes place, which is on the Sea of Galilee in uh, Palestine, a very, very large, large lake. It is so large that it, it is like a sea when you're on it. And uh, one of the things I want you to know, even though the red dot on the top of that lake on this map is Bethsaida, that's not where the journey takes place. The journey takes a little bit, uh, takes place a little bit to the left of that. Starts out in Capernaum, that's where they are, Jesus and the disciples, and he tells them that they're going to go to the other side of the lake, all the way down to the right, about two-thirds of the way down to a place called the Gerasenes. Now the important thing, there's two important things you need to know. First of all, On the left side of the lake where they start, that's where the Jews were. On the other side of the lake where they're going, that's where the Gentiles are. Jews did not go to where the Gentiles were. Why is that? Let's talk for a minute about the difference. What was Jesus, Jew or a Gentile? He was a Jew. So what's the difference between a Jew and a Gentile? The Jews are the ones who have been entrusted with the story of God. The story of God, the creator, the promises of God, the Torah, the scriptures, the good news of God's love for us. And they had a lot of guidelines as Jews that they were not supposed to mingle with the Gentiles and to lose the story. So they were really protective of their faith, really, really protective of this understanding of God the creator so that it wasn't like all the gods of the people. Now, sometimes they were so protective that they forgot something important, and that is God loves the whole world. God came for the whole world. And so when a prophet named Jonah, remember when Jonah was told to go and to preach good news to the Ninevites? Remember that story, the Old Testament? And he, go, he says, I don't want to go to the Ninevites. Do you know why he didn't want to go to the Ninevites? They're Gentiles. He didn't want the good news to go to the Gentiles. So what did Jonah do? He goes the other direction, gets in a boat, and what happens? The water gets all churned up, and he's dumped out of the boat to get the calm to come back, and he's swallowed by a whale, and he's spit back up on the shore because God wants the good news of God's love to go to the Gentiles so that they can know God's grace and mercy too. So that's what's going on, not only in this story, but that's what's going on when Mark, this gospel that we are in, when it's actually read to the believers at that time, you know who was in that church at the time? Were they all Jews? No. Were they all Gentiles? No. They were Jews and Gentiles. I don't know if you can feel the tension as I say that, but there was a lot of tension in the church. Because the attitude that Jonah had and the attitude that sometimes we can have when we think we want to guard God's love tightly and not give it away, that's what was going on in the church. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of hostility for the people that were reading Mark's gospel and hearing it. All right, so that's the important context you need to know as we're hearing the story. Again, from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Let's pray, and then we're going to hear more of what God is saying to us this morning. 
God, we want to hear you speaking to us in the person of Jesus. We want to hear you speaking in this scripture and in my words and in our listening this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and that by the power of the Spirit, you will help us to hear you. Amen. Mark 4, 35 through 41, listen to God's word to you. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Wake up. Wake up, God. Don't you care that we're dying out here? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I have. 2005, when I was so sick, and I had a ruptured appendix, and they thought that I had cancer. It was a misdiagnosis. So I was in a lot of pain, and then I had a surgery, and I was in a lot of pain, and then I went home, and I was recovering, but I was still in a lot of pain, and instead of feeling better, I felt worse, and I felt worse, and I felt worse, and a friend called me and said, I'm praying for you, and I said, well, it's not doing any good. (laughs) I was mad. It's like, wake up, God. Don't you care that I'm suffering over here, that I'm dying? That's what it felt like. But you know, this is a prayer that is prayed throughout Scripture. If you look at Psalm 44, Psalm 35, you're going to hear those exact words. Those exact words. Wake up. Rouse yourself, O Lord. Don't you care? Won't you come to our help? So there's this ongoing dialogue that we see in Scripture in the Old Testament. And what's the answer that comes back from God? I do care. I do see. When they are slaves in Egypt, God sends Moses and sets them free through the Red Sea. And the culmination of scripture is in Jesus. I do care. I do see. And Jesus goes through the waters of death in his crucifixion and resurrection so that we can be liberated. But I want to point out something really important to you in this whole dialogue that goes on in Jesus. The human cry Wake up, God, don't you care? The divine response, I do care. I love you. I do provide. Why are you afraid? Why don't you have faith? I want you to notice that every time God saves, God saves and moves into another conflict, another storm. I got some good news and bad news. God saves But God doesn't save us into a storm-free life. 
What happens to the people when they come through the Red Sea? Where do they end up? Is it a lovely place? They're in the wilderness for 40 years. More conflict, more struggle, more agony. Oh, great. And what's happening with the disciples that are reading the good news of Mark? The good news about Jesus in the gospel of Mark. They're struggling. Their church is filled with Jews and Gentiles. There's all kinds of fighting, all kinds of persecution. Faith does not mean that we are going to be living a storm-free existence. It's kind of a bummer, isn't it? But it's true. Have you no faith? Faith does not mean a storm-free life. It didn't for Jesus. It didn't for the disciples. It doesn't for us. So what is faith? Well, this is my suggestion today for you in this story. Faith is having what Jesus had in that boat. Can you see the stained glass window of Jesus asleep? Isn't that amazing? Jesus is in the boat. There is a storm raging. And Jesus is asleep. I learned a great Tizé song about three years ago. There's only four sentences in it. Peace be still. Peace be still. The storm rages. Peace be still. Isn't that the truth? We are looking for that place of peace while there is still storm raging around us. The peace we seek does not come from that outward calm, from all the circumstances around us smoothing out and having smooth sailing. The peace that we seek does not come from mastering our circumstances. It actually comes when we hit the end of our ability to master our circumstances and realize, oh, God is there. The disciples, how many of the disciples were experienced fishermen? We, how many disciples total were there? Twelve. So how many do you know for sure were fishermen? Four. So a third of them were really, really good Sailors, we're assuming. They knew what they were doing in a boat, right? They are overwhelmed. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They are scared out of their wits. They are at the end of their resources, at the complete end. And that's when they turn to Jesus. Faith, that's where faith is. Faith is not this, oh, if I have faith, there's going to be storm-free seas around me. All the circumstances will be managed, and I'll be able to manage them myself, actually. But it's actually as we come to this end of realizing, wow, there is still this storm-free world around me. And what I want and what I really need, yes, I want the calm out there, but what I really want is the calm in him. How in the world... Did Jesus have that kind of faith? Not just in that circumstance, but throughout his life, coming to that place of even with the storms raging, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, being able to come to that place of saying, not my will, but your will be done. 
You know, one of the movies that's up for Academy Awards today out of the 10, uh, I don't know if you're into the Oscars at all, I actually am, and I haven't watched all the movies, but one of them is called Life of Pi. And uh, this story uh, really resonated for me, especially as we're in the scripture. And this is a story about a, at the beginning of the story, most of the story is about when he's 14 years old and he's living in India with his family and his father owns a zoo. And uh, he is a spiritual seeker. Even as a young boy, he just has a hunger for the love of God. And he grows up in this Hindu home and even though he's a Hindu, he's playing around a church one day, and he ends up running inside the church to retrieve a ball or something, and he bumps into the priest, and all of a sudden, he discovers that there's another community of faith, and he's all excited about learning about Jesus. So around the dinner table one night, his father's explaining to him, well, we are, that's not us. We're Hindu. And so, you know, Pi is his name. Actually, that's not his real name, but his name was an embarrassment to him in middle school, so he changed it to Pi. So he listens very, very attentively to his father as his father explains who they are as Hindus and that they're not Christians and, you know, that he needs to stop going to this church and learning about Jesus and all those things because that's not their family. And um, Pi listens, and then at the very end, the, after listening attentively, he says, I want to be baptized. And it's just this really sweet hunger that he has for God. And he's not just, you know, he's learning from everything. He's even learning some prayer techniques from Islam. So he's just this amazing seeker after God. Well, then what happens next, as many of you probably know, if you read the book or if you saw the movie, is that they had to sell their zoo and they decided to emigrate to Canada. Canada. And so they actually keep a few of the animals and they, they uh, board a Japanese freighter. And they leave the port, and they're out in the Pacific Ocean only a few days, and all of a sudden this horrible, horrible storm comes up, and it sinks the ship. And everyone on the ship is lost except for Pai and a hyena and an orangutan and a zebra. And surprise of surprises, as he's on this lifeboat trying to figure out what to do, period, he discovers that under the tarpaulin there is the Bengal tiger named Richard Parker. So he is 227 days out on the Pacific Ocean, eventually, as you can imagine, with just the Bengal tiger, Richard Parker. And Pi is amazingly resourceful in what he does to survive, eventually learning how to collect water and fish in order to keep Richard Parker, the Bengal tiger, happy and not wanting to eat him. So he gets enough food for Richard Parker, enough food for him, and at certain points in the movie, he cries out to God, similar prayer to the one we've mentioned earlier, wake up. Don't you care that we're dying out here? But he keeps on being this resourceful young man until eventually he comes to the end of his resources. Completely at the end of his resources. He's starving. Richard Parker's starving. And there's this very poignant, what I would call a turning point, though it's never called the turning point in the movie, where he's sitting with Richard Parker, the Bengal tiger's head in his lap, both of them too tired to do anything and too exhausted from starvation where he says, I am ready to die. Mm -hmm. 
I am ready to die. Though it's not called a turning point in the movie, it is. This one who is a spiritual seeker, who was baptized, that is a picture of the completion of his baptism. Letting go of all else, letting go of all else, and there is God. I am discovering in my own journey, to be honest with you, that faith isn't about mastering my life and my life around me whatsoever. It is about letting go into God. It's about figuring out what in the world allowed Jesus to be so at peace that he could sleep in the midst of that storm. How in the world could he let go of all else around him and have that kind of ironic trust in God? One of the books I've read this last week, there's a group of us that have been trying to read a book uh, about every three months or so. And of course, I didn't get the book till like a week and a half ago and then crammed it for about a week. It's called Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening. And this book actually has rocked my world because it's teaching a form of prayer that's really a letting go, a letting go of all thoughts and kind of dwelling in the reality of who God is. I was describing this to a friend. She said, that's impossible. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. But one of the things that I discovered as I read this book is it gave me a window into how Jesus could do that how and how he did that. And there is this description of the outer circumstances of our world that promise us happiness, that promise us the world, what is described as the false self, and you'll see that up here. And that description, you want to put the next one up, Bill? Not that one, but yeah, sorry, the next one after that. Security and survival. If we can only have enough money, if we can only have enough safety, enough good health, we will be happy. Esteem and affection. If we only have a place of belonging, if we only have people who care about us deeply. Power and control. If only I can have what is mine and do it well and manage things, then I will be content. Then I will be happy. And it's interesting how when Jesus, during his Lent, went out into the wilderness and was tempted to make one of those things his life. Turn this bread, turn this stone rather, into bread. Security, survival, what did Jesus say? No, you don't live by security and survival, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The next temptation, if you can go back again, Bill, to that one, The second one is esteem and affection, and he is tempted to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple so that God's angels can take care of him. Let God show you how much God loves you. He says, no, I'm not going to put God to the test that way. The last one, power control. All the kingdoms of the world I will give to you, the devil says to to Jesus, if you'll just fall down and worship me. No, you shall worship the Lord your God, him alone. Letting go, letting go of all these false promises that that is going to be our life, that that is going to be our happiness. And that invitation to let go what is called spiritual freedom, 
It's what we're seeking. It's what I'm seeking as I meet with you, as I, as I lead the congregation, that we are functioning out of that place where nothing is as important as God. Things are important. But we want our life to flow out of who God is. Spiritual freedom. Jesus learned it. Jesus practiced it. How do I? So that as we are raising our children, our baptized children, a lot of times we're thinking, I know I do, and I know I pray, that for our baptized children, Lord, please give them, give them lots of money. No, give them security. Give them health. Give them safety. Give them people who love them. Help them to marry well. Give them affection. Give them places of responsibility in the world. That's where our prayers usually take us. They're good prayers. But they're not ultimate prayers because faith does not promise a storm-free life. Faith leads us to finding a calm, not out there, not in that, but in Jesus, in God. And how are we leading our children and ourselves to that place of centeredness? So there is this dialogue in this story. Wake up, God. Don't you care that we're dying out here? And you have the response that comes back from God. I do care. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And what is faith? Trusting in a calm that will happen out there? No. When we come to the end of our resources, realizing, no, what we really need, what we really want, is what Jesus has. This ability to let go into God's heart. Let me lead us in prayer, and then we will sing. Let's pray. Oh God, we don't know how to do this. But we long for what you have come to show us and to give us in Jesus. To set us free from those false attachments that will not save us. That will not give us the happiness they promise. Oh, lead us and lead our children and lead us in the loving and raising of our children. To dwell in you. To let go of all else and to lean into you. Thank you that you have come to set us free from every false attachment that we might truly find ourselves alive in you. We give you all the praise and all the glory for being with us in our boat, for being with us in our world, for being with us and for us in Jesus Christ. Lead us in faith. Give us your faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.